You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Dan. So we are in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3 today. I'm going to get this out of the way right now. Those of you who know what Daniel 3 is about, it's the, the guys getting thrown into the fiery furnace. Anyone who knew I was preaching immediately told me the same thing, and i got to confess I had the same thought. Nathaniel, picture please. Maybe, maybe not. All right, it's not working. I had a picture of VeggieTales, okay? Because Rack Shack and Benny, of course, and I told Sean, actually, when he told me, I'm going to sit down and put Rack Shack and Benny on, and we'll be good. All right, that's kind of what I thought. So yes, we all know that. Everyone who's been around in Christian circles for a while can get a chuckle out of doing Rack Shack and Benny, right? But let me give you a summary. These, when we're going through Daniel like this, the whole chapter is just too long to read together. So I'll just give you a summary of the story, and then we'll go from there. Uh, Daniel uh, and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and a bumblebee have been, uh, oh yeah, we're listening, very good. Um, they were in, uh, taken from their home in, in uh, Israel, made captive in uh, Babylon, which is ancient Iraq, that area. They went through some stuff earlier on, which we did in Daniel 1 and 2, and they, they're now uh, respected by the king, and they, they're understood to be men of wisdom. And uh, in the process of Nebuchadnezzar's flights of fancy, he makes this giant statue that he wants everybody to worship and proclaims as law in Babylon that when the music plays, a list of musical instruments plays, uh, everybody should bow and worship the statue. And Daniel and his friends, of course, don't do that. They won't worship something other than uh, the one God. Now, Daniel's not involved in this story. It's actually kind of interesting to me that he's not involved in the story. It's just the three guys. And uh, so they don't, they don't uh, bow. They don't make a big scene about it, they just don't bow. Uh, but the other wise men in the court, the, the charlatan type of guys, the um, sorcerers and, and magicians and all the list of things that they're called, uh, they notice and they don't like Daniel and his friends. They're actually rivals and they, they want to stick it to them. So they go tell the king, hey, these guys ain't bowing. Okay, well, and the, the penalty for not bowing was you'll be thrown in a fiery furnace. So King Nebuchadnezzar calls him into his court, says, gentlemen, are you going to bow? They say no. They refuse very eloquently, as we'll get into, and uh, he's off to the furnace with you. Okay, so he throws them in the furnace, and lo and behold, they don't die. And in fact, they are watching the, uh, the, the events here as they throw them in, and they notice someone else in there with them, which we'll get into as we go further, and they come out unburned. The, the, the ropes or chains that they were in were gone, and they're kind of smiling. They don't even smell like smoke. And uh, the king bows down to them, basically says, your God is awesome. Uh, you guys that are, you Chaldeans, get out of here. You know what I'm talking about. And these guys are the ones to be worshipped. So that's the story behind this, okay, in, in a nutshell. So when we do this, we have to, I've, I've told this to my life groups as I've been leading them. These stories are, are not stories. They're real history. But we, we mentally picture them because they're so fantastic, like stories. We don't often take them for real. We look at them for the principles behind them and their great stories and stuff, but they're real. This really happened. And then that really happened to those guys who are like heroes, right? They're, they're like the superheroes, okay? They, these guys are, are to Christians what Captain America is to the rest of the world, okay? You know, like in Endgames when he, oh, I didn't do it. I almost did, right? Um, the, but that, that's the thing. We, we look at it like that, and it's not. We have to find a way to take this into uh, our lives today so that we can live it in a way that's meaningful and get what God wanted out of this for us. Because to just look at this as a pretty cool story about guys who had faith, 
and look what they did, we're falling way short. We really have to have the, the how does this, how did what God do here help me to live more like Jesus? Because that's what this is all about. All that list of things that we looked at, that's what God wants from us. And if we can't take the, the history he gave us, the examples, it says in the New Testament that these things were given to us so that we could learn these things about how to live, right? And if we don't do that, we've missed the boat. So we can enjoy the good story, absolutely. And Rack Shack and Manny's a lot of fun, so I definitely recommend you watch it. But if we don't say, hey, how do we now go forward from here and live? We've lost the purpose, okay? So let, let's keep that in mind as we go. So I'm gonna give you some quick PowerPoints up and running now, okay? So I'm gonna give you some quick, it looks like a lot of points, but they're quick ones, just to give you, uh, it's like the pastor alliteration game, you always have to do this. Um, so I've got some words that will help you understand how they process this so that we can understand how to process our life's trials, okay? The first thing that as, as they went into this is they were prepared, they had preparation. And I'm gonna refer back to what we talked about in chapter one actually. When um, we saw them in chapter one, they were first brought to the court, they didn't want themselves defiled by the way that people were living. And they did that up front and they made it their habit. Okay, they didn't respond to some crisis like, oh no, we're going into the furnace, we have to straighten up our lives. They lived that way on purpose, they were prepared. And we, this is where we can go to school on these guys and not wonder about some fantastic story. We look at them before the story started and they were already prepared. They didn't make any excuses. They easily could have said, ah, everybody else is doing that stuff, we could do it but they stuck, they stuck to it, okay? They didn't, they didn't um, let themselves live the way the people around them were living, knowing that it was offending God. So that, that we can start off with ourselves. We can be prepared to meet our crisis points by already being prepared, right? By, by living a life that has a habitual, paying attention to God sort of attitude to it, rather than waiting till it's important that we do it, okay? So that's one thing, being prepared. They were also very persuaded in their faith. And I'm gonna read a couple of the scriptures that, that we have here to help you see this. Again, going back to chapter one, um, when this is Daniel now, not the three guys, but you almost can see them as a pack. What Daniel did, the other three did, and what the other three did, Daniel did too, basically. He didn't get thrown in the furnace, but I'm sure he wasn't bowing either. I wonder how he escaped that. I, I just thought of that. How'd he, how'd he get out of this? Um, but he did, right? He's not involved in that. Um, so in verse, chapter one, verse eight, it says, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Other translations say he purposed in his heart not to do that. Resolved or purposed in your heart. Purposed in your heart is a real clear description of what's going on, not just some, I'm making a New Year's resolution. But he stepped back and said, no, I'm not going to do it, right? So, he, and how he did that, we talked about in chapter one. Those guys, just like now, were facing death. The... Um, the king's uh, head servant guy, I forget what, his, what he was called, head eunuch guy, he, he came and said, if this doesn't work out, I'm gonna get killed, and therefore probably you will too. So they were facing death, even then. That threshold of pain was already there, and Daniel was resolved then, and we talked then that they must have had faith in their God to know that what they were doing was right. They couldn't have been these teenage boys hanging out in a foreign country with who knows what was going on around them, they already had their, their faith in their hearts and strong enough to hold on to. They were persuaded. And we see that carries out with these three guys, these three boys, right? Very likely teenagers. We don't have a timeline here in, in uh, when this happened. In chapter one, events happened. Chapter two, it says, within Nebuchadnezzar's first year. So that, you know, that's a real close timeline. We don't know when chapter three occurred time-wise. It's not given to us, but it's probably 
very soon thereafter. There's no reason to believe it's 20 years later. There's other events that happened to show us that probably wasn't it. So soon thereafter, they're probably still either teenagers or very young men. In, verse, or in chapter three now, the chapter that we're in today, uh, verses 16 through 18 is their response to Nebuchadnezzar when he says, all right, bow or, or you're getting a fiery furnace treatment. They say this, and this it, truly, guys, I don't, I try not to exaggerate here. This is one of the most powerful scriptures in the entire Bible to me. This is overwhelming. If you get chills watching movies like The Avengers, this has got to put like every hair on your head standing up, whatever few I have, they do, okay? All right, O Nebuchadnezzar, we, need, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We're, I, I get chills, guys. They're, they're willing to face that fiery furnace. Now, none of us are probably ever going to be in that situation. You know, the worst we're going to get is someone doesn't like us or maybe get fired from a job, probably. That's about the, the worst we're going to get in negative consequences to our behavior most times in terms of, like, not agreeing with people because that's, that's all they're doing, not agreeing with the king. He just happens to be a king, right? Um, but they stand up and say, you know, we're not doing that. And, and it's just that simple. And God's going to deliver us. They had trusted their God. But even if he doesn't, we're not going there. That's amazing to me that they had the nerve to say that. So they were persuaded. How, how can you look at these guys as anything other but completely convinced that they were doing the right thing, that they were following their Lord, honoring him, and not honoring some false god? So that's where we have to be, right? We have to have that kind of um, maybe not actionable, I, you know, I'm going to resist till I get thrown in a furnace, but we've got to have that kind of resolve in our hearts. We need to be able to look at those choices that we have to make that are putting us in a situation where things can go south on us and say, God's right, I'm going to do his thing no matter what. And that's a challenge. Many of us don't face those things very often. Many of us live pretty humdrum, normal lives, just day by day doing things, and we're not faced with these kinds of circumstances. But even in those humdrum kind of circumstances, daily events, we're faced with choices. And if we don't have this upfront persuasion that God's right, and we need to know what he says is right, so there's, that's part of it too, then when those choices come, we're not gonna know what to do or say, and it's pretty hard to be persuaded, right? If we're persuaded, then it doesn't take that much effort to do the right thing. It just takes faith in God to do it, and that's a big deal. So I, I wanna start us off, before we even really get into the action of this chapter, these guys were already prepared in their lifestyle, and they were already persuaded in their faith before they even heard about some image they were supposed to bow to. They were already there. So we can take that lesson too. Prepare your lives. Persuade your hearts. Get with God and be ready to go when the crisis comes. That's the lesson you can take from this for today. Right? You don't have to wait until the bad stuff happens. Be ready to start. Okay? So let's get into the actual story here because this, this is where, I mean, this is where the fun stuff is, right? Thinking about preparing. Who wants to prepare? Who wants to work out? I want to go play the game, right? That, that's how that works. Well, now we're in the game. So they are in this circumstance where the king makes this crazy, I'm going to have people worship some giant image story up, whatever he's doing. And, uh, you know, they have, to, they have to consider, well, hey, we can't do that, right? That's not appropriate. You shall worship one god and you will bow before any other. So they, they make these decisions. And then uh, the Chaldeans, they're called, the, the other sorcerer folks. You, know, you got to think about this, too. These people are dirty, okay? The... In the chapter before this, in Daniel 2, which is some, somewhere close in the timeline, Daniel had saved their necks. They were all going to get killed. 
the, they weren't able to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. They weren't even able to tell Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nobody could, as everybody in the chapter said. And Nebuchadnezzar was going to kill everybody, including Daniel and his friends. And that's where Daniel came in, got the, uh, got the message from God about what to tell the king, and it cleared the decks. Everybody was good. So rather than being thankful, these Chaldean guys now see them as rivals, and they're set up first chance they get, they got them. Right? They're ready to go throw them under the bus. And so here they are. It says right in chapter 3, verse 8, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Hey, these guys aren't doing it. In verse 12, it says, There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, I would say a couple things here. They're just looking for trouble. They're trying to get rid of their rivals. Two, they're liars. Okay, and it's consistent throughout scripture alone certainly shows it but in life we know this people who lie well use some truth and then some lie or they mix it in look they, they drew the conclusion for Nebuchadnezzar without really uh, giving him a chance to think all they really had a right to say was hey they're not bowing right that, that's what was going on they weren't worshiping your image but look what they threw in there hey they pay no attention to you right they inflamed it a little bit by rubbing on Nebuchadnezzar, and, and he's, they tell him, they're not paying it. King, they think you're stupid. They're not doing this. Look, they won't even bow, rather than just reporting the facts. So they, they did a good job, right? They did a good job in sticking it to the, the, um, the, the four guys there, the three guys, really. So they hated him. They wanted to get it. So the, oh, I forgot to say, the point I, I want to make here, the, the point is these guys are under some pressure now, okay? They're, they're being put under the gun by the Chaldeans by, you know, reporting them to the king. And, you know, their, their purpose was to stick it to these three guys. Who knows what their biggest purpose was? Maybe they just didn't like the fact that these foreigners, you know, the Jews, they, they maliciously accused the Jews. There are certain Jews among you, so maybe there was some of that too. But certainly their professional lives were at stake, so they were just both guns ablaze in trying to get rid of these guys. Um, and, you know, honestly, if you think about it, if it wasn't this, it was going to be something else. Right? There, there were going to be some conflicts. They already were with the food thing. Right? They already knew there was some um, lifestyle choice kind of stuff that they weren't you know, going along with. So I would imagine that if this hadn't come up, something else would. And probably Daniel and his friends knew that. They, they were not dumb. They were, it refers to them as ten times wiser than anyone else in the court. So if, if these bozos basically could try to pull this one over, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Amanda were probably wise to them and their reactions. So they knew they were going to get it at some point. So this probably didn't even surprise them, I would imagine. It's just the particular event that caused it was new to them, but they knew they were going to be in trouble with these folks as it is. So they got pressure from the people around them. They got tons of pressure from the king. Oh my goodness, it, it, when I read this to study through here, I was really shocked because Nebuchadnezzar is like the picture of fickleness. He, he bounces around. He's so emotional in this. Look at, look at the way the king treats them in, in, in verses like 13 through 19. I'll read some of them for you. It says in verse 13, king Neb then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, that, that's strong words, furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought to him. This is when he hears that they are not bowing. He's already in a furious rage. In, in verse 15, he's talking to the guys now. If you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into the fire or furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Right? He's calling them right out. And then in verse 19, then they answered him, that's, I read to you earlier what they said to him. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is the king, right? 
And these days, the king, he could have just chopped their heads off right there too, right? It, he, it was, there was no zero protection for them. There were no laws in place that said the king couldn't do anything. There were no unions to protect, nothing, right? They were just at his mercy. Everybody in the whole country was. And they stood up, and he was furious. His face was changed. You know, imagine the picture in your mind there, just from being kind of just a king that's doing stuff to being angry when they show up. And then he was already in a furious rage, and then his expression was changed more. This is scary, right? The, the, the guy who can kill you is like that, you're in trouble. So the pressure they were under was immense, okay? And they didn't have the story in front of them. They didn't know what was gonna happen, right? We look back and say, oh yeah, sure, they made it, that's fine. Of course they would, no, they're living it. Imagine the pressures you face and you don't know how they're gonna come out, right? Magnify that into this level, they were under some pressure. And guys, I want to take this into today, I, wanna, I want you to see the kind of pressure, because again, we're not gonna be asked to worship an idol probably, and we're certainly not gonna be thrown into a fiery furnace, I would imagine. Okay, so we have to take this into the real life situation. And really, the overall picture here, this isn't about some idol to worship, right? This is about a king and his popular people around him, all the elitists that were in his court. They're trying to force their value system onto these guys. That's what they're doing. They're saying, you're gonna worship what we say to worship, not what uh, you think you should worship. He's imposing these beliefs on him with threat of death, right? And he's not doing it just then, he's doing it to the entire country. They're basically, forcing their moral system onto an entire country. And he's doing it because he can do it. He's the king, right? If he's Joe Schmo, you know, broom pusher, he's not doing anything, right? He's a king, he can, right? And the guys around him, they're in favor with the king. And everybody's rich, powerful, and able to do what they want, and can't, you can't stop them. Not only can you not stop them, they're gonna hurt you if you don't go along with the system. This, guys, happens in our culture today all the time. Not in a, uh, I'm going to kill you way, but I'm gonna stick it to you way. I'm going to destroy you kind of way. It happens all the time. You can see it in government. You can see it in popular culture. You can see it in academia. Everywhere, those who are in charge and think they know better than the rest of us are generally trying to impose what they think on us. And not just to get us to worship some idol, but to get us to live in a certain way, to get us to approve of certain things, to get us to say, oh, everything's all right. We can all do whatever we want, no harm done kind of thing. Because um, if you don't, there's gonna be a price to be paid. You watch, you've watched throughout the last 10 years or so, the way that culture works and, and government works and things, when people disagree, it's attack time. There, there's a purposeful, intentional, character-destroying attack on people who don't agree with the popular ideas. It's just the way it is, we've seen it. And they will destroy us, they will do their best. I say us, it hasn't happened to me. They will destroy anyone who, who tries to, to think differently. You, you will agree with these things. You will say that this lifestyle is acceptable. Not even tolerate, not even say, all right, we're not gonna fight the battle, but you will accept it and say it's good, or we will destroy you with our machines of media or uh, social pressure or financial struggles or whatever. Our government does some of this too sometimes. You see certain policies that are passed um, that will try to make people do things in certain ways. You know, there's a little bit, uh, it, it's kind of a double-edged sword there. I'm not gonna get into politics really, but just so we can, we're living, right? We have to live these things and understand how to cope with them. 
you know, you, you see a government, you feel like you can't do anything because one vote doesn't matter. On the other hand, they shouldn't be doing things that a large portion of people don't want, and you get into this kind of stuff. Um, you know, you look at uh, an example that I, I would bring up would be through the Obamacare circumstances where certain companies resisted the uh, mandates to provide types of care like uh, abortion drugs and stuff like that on a religious basis. Okay, that, w that was effectively a similar circumstance in terms of uh, imposing will or we're going to destroy you because the penalties for those were such that those companies would go bankrupt and they would be fined heavily. Um, but those companies stood up and fought those battles and, and you know, were able to avoid those things. So this, this is happening on a regular basis in, all, in, in popular culture. If you disagree with the, uh, the elitist sort of attitude towards the way lifestyles are, if you're in that culture, you're probably not going to work anymore. If you're in academia, it's going to be hard to find a job if you disagree with certain either political or economic or cultural statements. If you teach things differently, you're going to run into trouble. Um, it's just the way it is because the, the people in charge do what they want, and that's how it is. And honestly, I, I don't have a solution to that. I want to talk about how we handle it the way these guys did, right? The way these guys did was to trust God. Notice they didn't make a big stink. They didn't go protest and stand on a soapbox and say, do not bow, do not bow. They just didn't bow. Right? That's all they did. They just did their thing, not trying to raise any havoc, not trying to make anybody believe like they did, not beat anyone up. They just simply did their thing and paid the price in theory, right? They got tossed in the furnace, but God was with them in that. So I, I would just offer to you the way to take this into our lives today is as these pressures come from people that you can't do anything about, right? That they could not do anything about the king. As they come, your response is your responsibility. That's all you can do. I'm going to steal a line from a study we did a while ago. Okay? The, the way you respond to this is all you can handle, or all you can take charge of, and what you can do is do the right thing. Be prepared. Be persuaded. Face that pressure. Do the right thing, and then trust God to handle the rest of it. Right? I don't know how it's going to play out. Neither did these guys, but we know that's the right thing to do. Okay? In this, I want to throw one alternative possibility out there, because it's a way that we often will help ourselves through these things. They could have done some rationalizing, couldn't they? They could have said, all right, hey, listen. It's just a statute. We know it doesn't mean anything, right? Right, guys? It doesn't mean anything. Let's just bow, because then we can keep our positions, and then we can help. You know, they're after the Jews. They already said it. We can help our people, OK? Let's compromise this little bit. And, and it, God knows what's in our heart, right? He knows we're not really worshiping. And then we can manage to not get killed and go ahead and help everybody. That's a very easy rationalization to make, very easy. And I would imagine most of us have found ourselves in a position to do that. I know I have, right? And it's easy to compromise. And sometimes compromise is important. There are, there are places to compromise things. I don't think the worship of God is one of those, I'll just say. It's, that's the place where you really want to have yourself persuaded. Um, so just, they could have done that, right? They chose not to. Let's learn from them. That's kind of what I'm going with there. With there. All right, so how were they able to do this? The next point I have for you is they had a promise. Now, they didn't have a direct promise. It's not like God spoke to them and said, guys, it's okay. You watch what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this work out. They're going to fall and worship me in a second because I'm going to keep you safe. He didn't say that. That's not the promise they had. The promise they had was what they said before to Nebuchadnezzar. We have no need to, it's verse 18 again, verse 16 to 18. We have no need to answer you this matter. By the way, that was kind of funny to me when I read that. The king brought them before him and said, is it true you aren't going to bow? I'm like, we don't need to answer that, king. You know where we're at. 
What are you even asking that for, right? That's basically, we have no idea to answer this. It's, you know it's true. If, if, if this be so, if you're going to throw us in the furnace, our God who is able to deliver us, not that he's going to promise to deliver us. He didn't promise to deliver, but they knew he could, right? He's able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he's going to deliver us out of your hand. Now, they follow this up with it seemingly contradictory, but if not, be it known to you, we won't serve them. We won't serve those gods. They're not contradicting there. The, the fact is, when they say he will deliver us, what, is it, what do they mean? Well, from their perspective, either he was going to take them out of the fire like he did, or they were going to go be with him. That's not a bad deal, right? That, that's kind of okay. So either way, they were going to win this one. Um, no matter what Nebuchadnezzar did to them, they knew that they were safe in God's hands. That's the promise that we have too, right? Is that no matter what happens, from our perspective, sometimes it looks like things are stinky, okay? Things go south in our life, they're bad, we don't like them, and I get it. I had those days too, right? But in the eternal perspective, we're in God's hands, guys. In Corinthians, it tells us about these are light and momentary afflictions, and they'll, they'll not even be able to be compared to what's coming in glory, okay? So when we have that promise, that perspective, it eases the pain, hopefully, and it helps us hold on to that resolve that we had before. And that's what these guys did. They were able to stand up and say, we're not going to do what you're asking us to do because worshiping other gods is wrong. That's where they were coming from. So as we're facing those choices in life, we're not going to do X because X is wrong. Or I'm going to continue doing Y because Y is correct. That's my math teacher coming out in me, sorry. Right? That, that's, that's how that works. I, you don't have to have a conditional kind of circumstance that if it works out for me, it's okay. We know what God says, and if he says something's wrong, I'm going to stick to it. If he says something right, I'm going to stick to it. And you, oh government, you, oh popular culture, you, oh whoever's trying to stick it to me, I'm not going to change because God is right and he's got me in his hands. That's how we can take this from this story and not worry about fiery furnaces, right? We can live with that. And there's a, there's a quote from Job that I, regularly that goes through my mind when these things come up, these minor things in my life. Not, I'm, not, you know, I'm not facing death here. But it's Job 13. Job, if you know his story, what a tough life that guy had, right? You know, the, the, all the things taken from him, all the, the pain he had and stuff like that. In the middle of all that stress, he says in chapter 13, verse 15, though he may slay me, yet I will hope in him. Right? Even if God puts me in a situation where I'm going to die, I'm in the furnace, and I'm going to burn up, I'm still going to hope in him. That's the kind of promise we have to hold on to, right? When we have that and we trust it, it makes the pressure not so hard in theory, right? It makes us be able to stand up and keep being uh, persuaded to continue on that path. So that's how we can take this fantastic story and see, hey, I can live this. I can do this too, right? It doesn't have to be a major incident where, where your life is falling apart, but it can feel that way, right? It can be something small that turns into something big, but it can be addressed by these principles, okay? Um, the next thing I have for you is God did protect them. He provided protection. Um, now notice in this whole thing, he didn't save them from the fire. He didn't keep them from going into the fire is what I should say. They went in the fire. They definitely, they definitely went in there, but he kept them safe within the fire. And this is pretty cool. I'll read you a couple of verses here about how this went down because it really just does indicate how strong our God is and how unbelievable the stuff he can do, right? In verse uh, 22, it says, because, of the king, because the king's order was urgent and their furnace was overheated, the flame of fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
The guards that moved them over to the furnace as they threw them in, they were killed by the heat. That's pretty hot, right? But still, they were killed. The guys were thrown in. They weren't killed when they were thrown in, but the guys throwing them in died right away. They're already not dead when other people were. Okay, that's pretty cool. And then when they come out, okay, they see in, in verse uh, 26 and 27, then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors, all these clowns that were trying to get them, gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those, those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Now, anyone who sat around a campfire for a while knows this is not legit, right? You get away from that, you're smelling like smoke for a couple days, right? This, these guys are in some crazy furnace, no smoke, nothing, came out smiling, happy as can be, right? God was in that. Um, what they were bound in was gone. There's all kinds of pictures here, guys, all kinds of pictures, right? The things that are tying us down, God's going to break them when we go through the fire. Right? We're going to come through the fire. We're going to be better than we were before. They probably were cleaner. Probably the garbage that was on them got cleaned off. Right? Um, the, the reality is, though, he didn't keep them from going in the fire. They had to face that. And we have to face those fires sometimes, too. Those things that we're thinking of that are our trials that parallel this, they're going to come. And you're going to run into stuff that's hard. Right? It's, not, it's not all sunshine and roses. Life is not promised to be perfect for you from the time you surrender to Christ evermore. That is nowhere in the Bible. Anyone who tells you that is telling you a story. So um, we're going to face these trials. How we face it is important. There's a, uh, a piece of this, too, that you know, as the king's looking in there, he sees one like the Son of Man walking around with him. There's a fourth guy in the fire. He even asks at that point, hey, how many guys we throw in there? <laughs> king, you're, involved, you're right here. But he asks, how many guys we throw in there? Only three, right? There's a fourth guy in there. And everybody's, yeah, there is. Right? It's presumed that is probably a pre-incarnate Jesus. That's the general assumption, interpretation. In other words, before he had his body as Jesus, the man who was crucified, he was around, and they, it's an assumption that that was him in there with them. And yeah, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's certainly plausible. Maybe it was an angel, who knows? Uh, the word son of man, though, kind of indicates that it was Jesus. Uh, in Isaiah, there's a pretty neat uh, thing that God tells Isaiah to tell the people of Israel. In Isaiah 43, this is a, a nice parallel to that. It says, uh, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Okay, so God already kind of promised this. Isaiah happened earlier than Daniel. Or, yeah, earlier than Daniel. And so this prophecy was already there for people to read that God can do this stuff, right? He's, he's going to protect you through those things. Um, so he didn't put out the fire. He kind of just put Jesus in there with him, right? And helped him get, uh, get through it. And they came out not smelling like smoke. By the end of this, they were kind of purified. And this is something, as I was reading this, I tried to look into this a little bit. Modern techniques are different than ancient techniques that these guys would have been aware of. But it, it, think about how you refine a precious metal. In those days, certainly, you just put it in the fire and kept scraping the, the dross, it's called, the junk that floated up, and you keep scraping it off. And what I read about is that there, there's a, a method that the refiner would know when it was done. And actually, the reason I'm reading this is from Malachi 3. There's another verse, again, kind of, there's some parallels here that help us see. Malachi 3 says, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. So this idea of using the fire to purify and to make a stronger and better metal, 
was a, a common thought in scripture too. So the way it worked, I, I'm told from what I read, is as they would keep heating up the, the gold or the silver, they keep scraping the, the extra ore and things that were no good, they keep scraping it off until finally the refiner could actually see his reflection in the metal that was left. And the, the things that we're reading for this, it was an awesome picture because um, it, it's kind of like this, the refiner knows that he's done refining the metal when he can see his reflection. And kind of what you can look at here with our refining is that God will know, not that he's done, but he'll know he's accomplished that task when he can see his reflection in us, right? When, when, when we're refined by this fire that we're going through and we're acting like Jesus, now he's got it. Now she's got it. Now I can move her along this path, right? That kind of thing. And so I think it's a really neat picture to understand the, the concept of us being refined because that's used in Old and New Testament both to talk about our sanctification process, the lives we live here after we surrender to Jesus, but until either we die or he comes, that's one of the most puzzling things to me is when, when we surrender, why not just take us and get us out of this mess, right? But he's got a job for us to do, and he wants to clean us up some more. He wants us to help ourselves clean ourselves, get ourselves to realize who we don't want to be anymore and embrace who he wants us to be so that we can be that person. Okay, so that idea of refining is a very, very good picture of that life we live from uh, the time we surrender to Jesus until the end, because we should be getting more and more like him. And the more he can clean the dross off of our lives and see his reflection in us, the closer we are to being done, right? That, that's the idea. Um, so, so that's a, a picture there that I think is really useful for understanding why those fires come. Why do we have to go through these things? Cleaning the junk out of our lives. And if you can't take that picture from this story, you've been sleeping for the last few minutes, because that really is huge. All these things that we deal with, all that life, the struggles we have, because we all have them, big, big level difficulty, small level difficulty, wherever you're at, we have struggles and we have things that, that are hard for us, and God's refining us. He's putting us through the fire so that we can get to be more like him, and that, that's the goal, okay? One other little tidbit that I thought was pretty neat in this, the Babylonian god, their main god, was a god of fire, right? Yeah, who's in charge here? Okay, just like, it's awesome. Just like in the, the plagues in Egypt, all of those plagues, if you're not aware, all those different plagues were addressed specifically to an Egyptian god. That, that was their realm of control. So God was doing the same thing then. And it's pretty cool to see him. You know, it's not like uh, Nebuchadnezzar said, oh, we're gonna hang them by their neck till they're dead. No, he wanted to put them in a fire because that was their god. That's how their god was gonna consume them and that didn't work out. So I thought that was pretty cool too. Um, the last point I want to make is that they got a promotion out of this, okay? They were able to take the, the Nebuchadnezzar made them like in charge of everything at that point. They were already in charge of stuff, but it just, boom, you guys are the top, you and Daniel are, you're the top guys right now. That was it. Um, but not, that's not what I'm talking about because guys don't expect that, right? It's not like when the bad stuff happens, you're always going to get a job promotion or something. That's not the game here. Really what, what got promoted was God. When you read what Nebuchadnezzar said, actually, I don't think I have it on the screen, but I want to read it to you. I might have it on the screen. I don't remember if I put it in there or not. Um, yeah, verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except for their own. I think he got it, right? He understood what they were doing. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. He promoted God. 
He gave God all the glory. And that, that's what comes. When we live that life of faithfulness, guys, God gets glory. He better get it from us. My goodness, if you don't see what's happened in these circumstances, when you do the right thing, you go through the fire, he, he preserves you through it however he does and, and cleans that dross up and makes you a better uh, person to follow him. If you don't give him glory for that, you are sleeping, right? You're going to see that. But people are going to notice. People are going to see that. If you're engaged in people's lives and they see you go through those trials, come out at the other end trusting God, they're going to know that. And at some point, you're going to be able to testify to them what happened and be able to share it with them. And God will get the glory for that. Even if they don't ask you, they might notice. In all cases, God gets glory when we're faithful. In all cases. That's the promotion I'm talking about, right? They did get a promotion, yes. And yeah, it'd be nice if God had that kind of thing in, in mind for you, but don't count on it. Um, but what will happen is that people will know and they will give glory to God. Even this horribly pagan, gonna kill people king, he can kill people for God now, I guess, but you know, even him, he was able to say, that God is like no other God. Forget this Baal guy or whoever his name is that wants to burn people up. This guy saves people out of the fire. Anybody can burn anything. Who can keep them from burning? Right? Think about that. Any fool with a match can light something on fire. How can you, how can you, how can you unburn something? You can't do that. That's a God. That's kind of what he was saying, right? That kind of glory gets to God when we follow. Okay, so those are the things I hope that we can take from this story. Yeah, it's a cool story. Yeah, I made a great veggie tale. But even the veggie tales, they have that little time at the end where the computer talks to them and tries to get the point across, right? If we don't get that point across, you kind of just watch the cartoon, okay? Cartoons are fun, but let's get our brains in gear and learn how to live for Jesus. Does that sound like a plan? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for these uh, histories that you give us. The words that you tell us that um, in your New Testament says, learn from these things. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to follow you. Help us to let that dross clear off as we face these pressures. Help us to um, just be able to stand as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, that we wouldn't have to falter and fall. Lord, it's so hard to face these pressures of life. It's so hard to face pressures of people around us, pressures of people in authority. I just pray for everyone in the room that we can look at you and be strong and follow. Lord, I pray that we would be prepared, that we would be persuaded, and they would follow you. Lord, as we go forth from here, we just ask you that you would give us the um, strength, the courage, and fill us with your Holy Spirit to do those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.